Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts 15, verse 12, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So in Antioch, Peter came and he said, cool, this all started with the house of Cornelius anyway, let's eat, let's get together. And so they're having table fellowship. And as soon as the the doorbell rang ding dong and the men from James came in, Peter went, I'm going to push back from this table. I'm not really eating with them. That's not, you didn't really see me at that table. And it is amazing to me how people can influence us so much. One moment, Peter is celebrating the grace of the gospel, and the next moment, some you know, uh, Judaistic believers walk in and, oh, no, I can't be eating with you now. No, no, no. Now, look at the extent to which this goes. And the rest of the Jews joined him, Peter, in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas, look at this, he's the son of encouragement, the guy that embraced everybody, was carried away by their hypocrisy. Peter pushed back from the table, and Barnabas went, oh. Yeah, that's right. We're Jews, they're Gentiles, we can't be sitting at this table. But when I saw that they were not straightforward, verse 14, about what? The truth of the gospel. Folks, do you see? Not only doctrinal, but relational. I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature. That's our pedigree. And not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law or the deeds of Torah, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified. The word justified is a legal term. It means to be declared innocent, not guilty, to be declared righteous before the court of Almighty God. We are justified how? By faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now look, the law is holy, The law is good, and we have not tossed out the Torah just because we're not saved by the law. We still think that thou shalt not murder is a pretty good commandment. Honoring your mother and your father, not lying, not stealing, not coveting, etc. We do appreciate those being on the walls of courthouses and even schools, although people are fighting it. There's nothing wrong with the commandments. The problem is us. You see, And we can't be justified. And so what happens in the great substitution of the cross? And just look at me for a moment. I want to show it to you. This is called the great exchange of the cross. Theologians paint it this way. All of my sin went to Jesus. All of Jesus' righteousness went to me. It's called the great exchange of the cross. God placed my sin upon the perfect sinless Lamb of God and gave me all his righteousness. And I am declared righteous now before the court of heaven by the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he took those nails in his hands and his feet, he was bearing in his body my sin and my shame on the cross that I might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. Amen? He's the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. We can't come any other way. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except through me. Good works will not get you there. 
Now, good works are certainly what should flow out of a saved life. Don't get me wrong. The, uh, Romans 6.1 says, We should not use grace as an excuse for sin. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It doesn't mean when you leave the church doors and you learn about grace, you go, well, I'm just going to go and live like hell. And it, grace, it, grace, sure. It'll just bring more grace into my life. Yeah, and more discipline and more loss of rewards and more loss of your testimony among those who watch you the closest. See, there are implications when you don't live for God. Grace is something that we live out in expression of what God has done for us. It is not something that we trifle with. It is something that we say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And now I want to respond with my love and gratitude to you. And so sharp debate that went on. And you can see the seriousness of the issue. Notice what happens now. Paul says, for through the law, or let's go back to verse 18. For if I rebuild, Galatians 2.18, what I have once destroyed. Imagine the wall between Jew and Gentile, if it's gone down. Now, I don't want to rebuild that wall. It's been destroyed. And remember, Peter's at the the heart of all this. I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I'm so closely connected to the gospel, to the person of Christ, that when he died, I died. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Personalize this, folks, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. If you were the only person on the planet, he would have died for you. That's what Paul says. It's not just the world's sin. He died for me. He loved me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then what? Christ died needlessly. Do you see it? You see how important this is? What an important chapter this is. Go back to Acts chapter 15. And so with this issue, the church in Antioch sent them off. And they sent them to the apostles and the elders back to Acts 15, verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, Acts 15, 3, they were passing through, moving along the coast now, both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So people were hearing these stories, and they were going, this is awesome. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, verse 4, They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, note in your Bible, who had what? They had believed. There were many Pharisees who had become believers, stood up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So they were there at the meeting. They said, no, no, no. All these stories are great, stories of miracles and healing and the Holy Spirit. However, hold on, time out. It is necessary that they are moved in to Judaism, and then they will truly be part of the kingdom. And the apostles and the elders came together, which is what we need to do when we're having an issue with doctrine, to look into this matter. Now, there have been many uh, church councils over the years. Probably the most famous one is in AD 325 called the Council of Nicaea. And there, the church dealt with a man named Arius of Alexandria. Arius had come up with what was called the Arian heresy, after his name, not what you're thinking of in the Arian kind of thing. And, And he was from Alexandria, and he taught, he began to teach people that Jesus was a first and great creation of God, but he wasn't almighty God. So the church at Nicaea came together and they were defending the nature of Jesus Christ. 
And do you know who repeats the Arian heresy today and they don't even, most of them don't even know it? It's Jehovah's Witnesses. Arius was kicked out of the church in 325 A.D., And 1,500 years plus later, Charles Taze Russell picked up the same teaching and has duped a multitude of people in believing that Jesus is a creation of God. He's actually, in Jehovah's Witness theology, Michael the Archangel. But not God, not eternal. And so you can see these things tend to repeat themselves. So there's much at stake. So after they had had much debate, Peter stood up. And he said to them, brethren... You know that in the early days God made a choice, verse 7, among you, that by my mouth a Gentile should hear the word of the gospel and believe. It was God's choice. It was God's doing. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And that was manifest in Acts 10 and 11. He made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles, cleansing their hearts, how? Mark it by faith. Now Peter, looking at the council, and I'm sure there's many people in the room, says, now therefore, why do you put God to the test? That's some heavy language. When you put God to the test, remember Jesus said, don't put God to the test? It means God says something or shows something about who he is and how he wants things done, and you challenge that. You say, I'm not sure if I really believe that. And you put God to the test. Let me just say to you, if you put God to the test, it is a bad career move. Because if you test him, you will lose. He will have his way in his universe. And Peter says, don't do that. And what's the test? You're placing upon the neck, picture a heavy load on the neck of somebody, of the disciples, a yoke, zugas in Greek, means a burden or a bondage specifically tied to the laws of Moses, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Why place a yoke on someone who's supposed to have been set free in Christ. Don't do that, says Peter. We couldn't bear it. Why do you think they will? Now, whatever the works of the law are, they must be burdensome enough that no one, even the most strict Jewish person, can fulfill them. So they must be more than just circumcised on the eighth day. They must be more than just keeping Sabbath or keeping the festivals. They probably here encompass all of the law of Moses. And the law of Moses, if you sum it up, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing? Have you fulfilled that? Have you kept the entire law? And if someone came into the Sunday school class or the Saturday Sabbath class, You'd have to share with them, by the way, if you want to start doing this, there are 613 commandments and subcommandments. Let me say that again. 613 of them. Now Christ has fulfilled the law. He's not done away with the Torah. Of course he hasn't. However, he paid the ransom and lived the perfect life. Don't put a yoke. Don't put a further burden, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. I've been talking to people this morning. And one after the other, people come up to me and say, Pastor Michael, you have just nailed my childhood. You just nailed the church I grew up in. You just nailed this or that. I feel that weight because I grew up in that environment. Let me just say to you, that is not the gospel. It's not about, uh, you know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with people who do. Okay? That doesn't make you specifically holy. 
PG-13 is all that I... Look, PG-13 is basically R now anyway. So don't think you can get away with that. We're always looking for loopholes. Look, you need Christ. He's the only one who can get us there. It was for freedom or liberty that Christ set us free, Galatians 5.1. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And I know that many of you are tempted to do so. Grace just seems too good to be true. I've got to do these 15 things as well. No, grace alone saves plus nothing. It is God's unmerited favor. And Peter concludes by saying, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, 11, in the same way as they are, they also are. Jew and Gentile come in the same way, through the same Lord, through the same sacrifice, and they are declared righteous before God. And so all the multitude kept silent. That means they were listening. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after that, they had stopped speaking, James answered. James the just, the brother of our Lord. He wrote the book of James. Seems to contradict some of what Paul said. Paul talks about grace. James talks about works, which is true. And if you're a Judaizer, Pharisee, believer, finally, finally, somebody who's in our camp, James is going to straighten everybody out. He's the leader of the church of Jerusalem. I'm sure he's just going to tell everybody, it's the law of Moses. Come on, people. And what does James say? James answered 13. Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, using Peter's Jewish name, has related how God has first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. This was often used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. And with the, this words, with, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, now he quotes from uh, the book of Amos, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. He quotes from Amos 9 verses 11 and 12, almost word for word from the Septuagint, the Greek translation, which is kind of interesting because James was Jewish, but he, he quotes the passage and he says, look, this was God's plan all along, Jew and Gentile together in one body. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. And you could see the Judaizer in the car, rats and double rats. Thought James was going to be in our corner. And he says, but that we write to them that they abstain from things. Now, this is called the quadrilateral, if you're interested, big term, four things that James says we should tell them. Let's tell the Gentiles that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication, that sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage, and from what is strangled and from blood. Number one, James says, lay off the Gentiles. They're turning to God. Let's not put a yoke on them, but let's tell them to do some essential things. Let's tell them not to mess around with things contaminated by idols, idolatry. Tell them not to be involved in sexual immorality, which was a problem among the Gentiles, even in some of their religious festivals. Let's tell them for the sake of their Jewish brethren not to eat things which are strangled and not to eat blood or partake of that which has blood in it for kosher purposes. Let them know that they can receive grace, but they also need to give grace. So if you like a rare steak and you sit down with an Orthodox Jew, order it medium well. You say, but I have my rights and I like rare steak. 
If you can drink wine as a believer, obviously not getting drunk, but you have that freedom. But you go out to dinner with a person who's been in AA for 30 years, and you say, I have my rights as a Christian, and you order that bottle of wine, and you pour it, and you say, oh, now wonderful, before them. You are not living by grace. Grace means I forfeit my right because I love that person more than my freedom. Paul said, if I would stumble anybody, I'll never even eat meat again or drink wine because for me, what's most important is people, not my rights. So this is how you live out grace. You receive grace and you give grace. And I wonder how a church community would be changed. I wonder how my life would change in the next week if everything I did was from the platform of grace. If I extended grace as much as I like receiving grace. I wonder if I'd talk about people less. And you know, that, that, that person, they always did that. You can interpret that however you'd like to. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Stop yourself and say, wait a minute, why am I being so negative? I hope somebody else is not going home about me and going, you know, that person. Right? You don't want to talk about you. Don't do it about them. Give grace. Amen? If you don't like their hair, if you don't like the way they dress, if you don't like their musical selections, don't listen to it. You can't understand a word that they're saying in that music. You know what? They used to say that about your music. Mm. Anyway, for Moses from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues. There's so many Jewish people around. Let's tell, tell the Gentiles to use some scruples in their lifestyle to be careful not to stumble somebody so that the table fellowship can be open both ways. And then it seemed good, and we're going to move rapidly. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, kind of a couple of witnesses to confirm the letter. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them, and they said, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, we didn't tell them to say this to you, have disturbed you. That means they troubled you with their words unsettling your souls. So many people are unsettled by false teaching. It seemed good to us having become of one mind through the counsel we just read about to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 27. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. They'll confirm the letter with their verbal testimony. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. We sense the Spirit's leading in the council and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And here it is, repeated in 29 that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication or sexual sin. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. And so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, which I'm sure they were waiting on pins and needles to find out the answer, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoice because of its encouragement. Could you imagine them saying, oh, thank you, Lord. No new menu, no line for circumcision, no doctor's appointment tomorrow. This is awesome. 
You know, you heard about the, the girls that way at college, and she writes a letter to her folks, and she says, uh, Mom and Dad, I, I just want to share with you, I've dropped out of college. Um, uh, I now have a new boyfriend. He's also dropped out of college. We're living together, and I'm pregnant, and uh, we need money. Send money soon. And the parents are reading this letter like, oh, this is horrible. And then the girl says, uh, P.S., I'm just kidding. None of those things have happened, but I want to let you know that I got a C- minus in my biology class. <laughs> And I need money. <laughs> Clever. Comparatively speaking, things aren't so bad. So the Gentile said, this is awesome. Sure. I won't order my steak rare if I have dinner with Peter. And hey, cool. You know what? I need to get things straightened out in this part of my life. This is awesome. And so Judas and Silas, also being prophets, 32, themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren. This is one of my favorite uh, sections of the Bible with a lengthy message. And in honor of this, we will go an extra 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. It seemed good to Silas to remain there in brackets because it's not in the earliest and best manuscripts. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Amen. I want you to turn to Second Peter 3. And I'm going to ask my son Shane to come to the front. We're going to close with the song Amazing Grace today. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. So you might be asking, so now what? If grace is this amazing, if I'm in the kingdom, if I'm declared righteous, if I have the righteousness of Christ to my account, and my sin truly was laid upon him in full, then what do I do now? Live a life of service and gratitude. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in what? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would say to you, brethren, one thing you should be praying about regularly is, Lord, let me reflect your grace more in my marriage, in my ministry, in my relationships. Grace is not winking at sin. Let me express grace the way Jesus did in the face of evil. But let me also extend grace the way you did. Your beautiful said love, your loyal love, your covenant love, your love of acceptance and mercy and grace. Let me, let me have that grow in my life. Let me grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful chapter. Grace is amazing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your favor, your benevolence. Thank you that while I was yet a sinner in rebellion, Christ died for me. He took your wrath at the cross, rose to defeat my greatest enemy and our greatest fear, death itself and lives triumphantly at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. Sent his Holy Spirit to convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and to call people to a blood-stained cross, but more than that, to a risen, triumphant Savior who ever lives both to intercede and to save that which is lost. If you don't know Christ today, cry out to him. Your good works and performance won't save you. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he paid it in full. 
receive grace as his gift to you and start living your life in response to that grace because it's a sweet sound and it will remove yokes from your neck and your life. It will give you true rest for your soul. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. Come to him now. Cry out to him. and Take your rest in him. Father, thank you for this precious group of saints. May you bless their lives with an ever-increasing grace upon grace. And may we be a community of believers reflecting that in the way that we live and the way we minister. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. The conclusion of the Acts 15 Jerusalem Council was to write letters to the churches, to write letters to the Gentiles and not to trouble them with unnecessary burdens which really have nothing to do with salvation. So, he, you know, the conclusion, let's not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Let's write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, which is sex, sexual sin, and what is strangled and from blood. So, basically, the Gentiles were told Look, here's what you need to do. You need to stay away from sexual immorality and things that have to do with pagan worship. And, you know, move away from those things and trust in the grace that's given to us through Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So, my friend, here you are listening. Maybe you've been in the church a long time. And maybe, you know, the simplicity of the gospel somewhere along the line was lost. Do you know that the Bible says that you have to have childlike faith to become a Christian? We want to add and complicate so much to a simple message. Here's the message. Jesus Christ saves. Do you know him? Jesus Christ paid the price in full. Have you received him? Jesus Christ from the cross said, it is finished. Will you trust in that finished work? Or do you think you're going to have to add something to it? something to his perfection, something to his righteousness. God forbid that we would speak in such a way. Now, are there things that come from salvation? That is, are there things that should be evident in the life of a believer once you're saved by grace? Certainly. There's a myriad of things. But that's a work in progress. That's, that's as you mature. That's as you are sanctified. That's as you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, works are going to come out. But works, good works are not the root, they're the fruit. Grace is the root. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.